Are you ready for some scalding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Mizutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. Hey, welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. Chase Frederick, Dane Mizutani here on Odyssey's Vikings podcast. Thursday morning. I think we've recovered from that. <laughs> Whatever that was on Monday night, we're looking ahead. Week two, week three, excuse me, against Detroit. <clears throat> Pair of one and one teams in kind of a gridlocked NFC North right now. All three, all four teams at one and one. Minnesota hosting Detroit. Dane, just like as we get into this, where are your thoughts on where the Vikings are at now that we are out of kind of the instant reaction phase of that Monday night just debacle um, and looking forward now? Where are you at with this team? Yeah, I think I'm pretty much in the same spot that I was before this season. And and that speaks more to the game on Monday night than anything else, right? I think if the Vikings came out, put together a masterful performance on Monday, dominated on offense, took away everything on defense, we would have legitimately been looking at this team on Tuesday. Like, are they Super Bowl contenders? Could they, could they really do this this year? And instead we're looking at it like, okay, uh, they're probably just middle of the road. It's probably going to be up and down each week, week to week. But I think it's important, like having two or three days to kind of digest that loss to realize, like, still one and one. The Philadelphia Eagles, for all intents and purposes, look like they're going to be a really good team this year. So it's it's not like the sky is falling in Minnesota. And I think that that kind of leads into this week with the Detroit Lions coming to town. You're better than the Lions. You want to think you're better than the Lions if you're the I was Vikings. I say we don't know they're better than the Lions, right? But it, exactly. But like I think we're going to learn a lot about the team this week because the Lions are good. They're plucky. They 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 won last week. They pushed the Eagles 38-35. Eagles kind of fell apart in that game, but uh, frankly, the Eagles fell apart in the second half on Monday night too, and the Vikings just wouldn't take any of that. So. The Lions made that week one game close against the Eagles. The Vikings did not make their week two game close against the Eagles. So we don't know. Like, we don't know a lot about this team yet. We know it. I think it's going to be a roller coaster ride this year. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see how this team responds in, in, like, the face of adversity. It was all, everything's good. The culture's new. The culture's different. Well, now that culture is, you know, going to be put to the true test. And you heard Kevin O'Connell kind of say that yesterday. Yeah, um, he said that on many points, of, and all the guys have kind of said like something about, they've pointed to that culture, right? The players have pointed to it. They've been like, oh, you know, there's no like finger pointing. There's no coming in and yelling. It's all figuring out like, okay, what went wrong? How do we improve upon that? You know, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, that, you know, like Kevin O'Connell responded exactly how we thought he would. Um, you know, and it's all these words again. Um, and now we have to see the words come into action. And Kevin O'Connell kind of spoke to that too. Yeah, so yesterday he talked a lot. Kevin O'Connell, I think we've talked at, at length about how he talks at length. He talks. Um, I think he, he talks. And I talks think and he talks. says roughly a million words every press conference, um, give or take. Um, but if you kind of, and it's kind of been like a science you've had to figure out, like on the beat this year, when he talks, there's going to be a lot of stuff you don't <laughs> really need to listen to. You can kind of tune him out for like minutes at a time. Um, but he's going to drop like some pretty insightful word bombs in, in, in between some of his answers sometimes. And I think it was like five, six questions into his press conference yesterday asked about like how do losses weigh on him personally. He talked a lot about wins and how after a win, it's not like the warm, fuzzy feeling. It's just on to next week. 
And then he talked about losses and he said, well, when losses come around, they weigh on me probably for a lot longer than, than they should as a head coach. And here's the quote I thought was interesting. It's about halfway through his answer. So like 400 words into his answer, he says, I can't tell you how many players I've had come up to me, reach out and kind of early today and just say, Hey, we've got to play better too. That's where, well, with all this culture stuff we talk about, this is where it gets tested. Uh, nail on the head right there. Um, you heard, like you said, Jason, uh, whether it's Adam Thielen going on K-Fan radio and, and saying, like, last year there was a ton of finger pointing, there was screaming and yelling, there's not that this year. Whether it's Kirk saying, um, you know, Kevin O'Connell handled this loss just like we expected uh, he would, like with a lot of class and maturity. All, all right, and I think, like, all those things are true. I think everyone's being truthful in like how this, the vibe is, it doesn't mean anything. If you go out and lose to the lions this week, it's a short week. It's really his, truly his first test as a head coach. As far as I'm concerned, he had the entire off season to prepare for green Bay as a home game. They were without their starting left tackle, their starting right tackle, their starting receiver, whatever. Like that was hardly a test. You should win that game at home. Monday night game is a little weird. Like, I think that was a, a test that he kind of failed, but this is the first real big test. Like how do you respond to adversity? How do you handle adversity? Um, and I think we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll see, we don't know. Um, but, but Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, we will. We're going to have to see some kind of difference, right? Like, like guys have talked about this ad nauseum and, and, and maybe it will show itself for sure, but it hasn't yet. Um, they didn't follow up success with success. Um, Frankly, like they got hammered on Monday. They didn't get hammered once last year until Sean Mannion started. Uh, they were in close games, even against elite teams. Like they went toe to toe with everybody and they, now they booted away games. They didn't finish late, whatever. There was no game where you were like, wow, these guys got outclassed and destroyed. Um, so this was a step back, I think in that regard. So that's kind of a knock against like, oh, this is so much greater and better this year. Um, and now it's like, you're trying to win this game just to stay on par. Like, yeah, okay, you beat Green Bay at home week one. Well, you beat Green Bay at home last year. Uh, you know, you right. never got shelled last year, and you got shelled in a game this year. Okay, now you're trying to beat Detroit at home, and, like, if they win, we could say, there you go, there's the culture, they bounce back. You're supposed to beat Detroit at home. You know, like, you have to do these things just to stay on par and then try to prove to us later that something is different. Um, so this is kind of that in that game. Now, Detroit's better, certainly, than they were last year, and Minnesota lost to Detroit once and almost lost the second time. Uh, but... Yeah, like it's for me as much as anything, it's that you have to prove things haven't gotten worse. Uh, that's what you're trying to prove to me this week. Uh, not that, not that, hey, we built this culture and we're going to show you by bouncing back and winning against Detroit at home. Like you just have to show that things haven't gone off the cliff. I think um, that's kind of where I stand in this game because if you lose this game, if you lose right now, now we're already looking at, I think, like, well, this team's not going to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, like, like, okay, they're worse than Detroit. They're probably worse than Green Bay, and they didn't. They just caught them week one. Um, those are the thoughts. Those are the conversations we're going to be having if they drop this game, which is a losable game for sure. Um, I, I think it's just kind of like you've just got to prove that you are a legitimate team here, um, not that you – as much as we talk about the culture and stuff, like, are you good? Do you have good players? Like, those are the things I think we need to see as much as anything else is how can you bounce back? Because – yeah, if it was a really good team, it'd be like, how do you respond to adversity? For me, I'm like, well, are you a good team? <laughs> That's what I need to see before like worrying about how how your culture and how everything is working um, to get the best out of guys. I got you. That, that oh, that's totally fair because you're right. If they lose to the Lions on Sunday, like 
I don't think you can look at many games on the schedule and just be like, that's a win. That's a win. That's a win. And that's no like disrespect to the Detroit Lions. I think they're actually a pretty good team this year. And we'll talk more about that. They have a ton of weapons and they're not just this walkover football team like they've been in the past. But if you're the Vikings, like, and you have realistic goals of winning the division, which I don't think me or you think they can, like, you need to beat the Detroit Lions. You need to be better than the Detroit Lions. So are you a good team? I guess we'll find out Sunday. I think they're a pretty good team, but we don't know for sure. I, I think one thing we need to see on Sunday, and Kevin O'Connell spoke to this a little bit yesterday. Dalvin Cook talked about it, too. You can't lose a guy like that. You can't just lose Dalvin Cook in your game plan. And I think what Kevin O'Connell basically alluded to yesterday on Wednesday during his weekly press conferences, he got kind of obsessed with tying the score when it was down 14-0. It's okay to, like, I'm not all for, like, the second and long runs, you know, run, 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 three and outs. But, like, you do have to establish some sort of run game. You have to try and go to Dalvin Cook. And I think he just completely went away from him. Um, it'll, it'll be a little different this week. I think Philly's personnel is, is, is stronger at stopping the run than, than perhaps Detroit's, but you also saw Deandre Swift run all over Philly in, in, in week one with a couple of big chunk runs. So I think while Philly deserves some credit for stopping Dalvin cook, Kevin O'Connell deserves some blame for basically taking him away by himself. Um, I think you'll see a lot more Dalvin cook this week. Um, I would be surprised if he's not flirting with his over-under carries, a little tease to the, the purple prop party is 17 and a half. I think he's going to flirt with that number this year or this this upcoming week because I think the Vikings are going to try to establish him. Yeah, it's a good segue just into the offense looking at this week. I will say in Kevin Connell's defense, not, not defending him, he's not defending himself. He doesn't think they ran Dalvin Cook enough. But, you know, you're down 14-0 in that game. You're wondering if you're going to give up 35 points uh, because that's what it felt like. And then, like, the times when Dalvin Cook got the ball, especially in that first half, it was, like, first and ten. And it was, like, okay, two yards. So what are you going to yep. do now, run it on second and eight? Because we always talk about how that's a terrible play. Um, like, like people on Twitter and analytics and, and even us will make fun of you for doing that because you're setting yourself up for, fa- for failure. So if Even if anything, it works. Even yeah, if it works. Yeah, it, it doesn't, right. you know, it was a good decision. Yes. So now, you, now you're down multiple scores and you're facing, like, a second and eight. What are you going to do? You're going to throw the ball. Um, and then the passing game didn't come through in the first half either so then it was three and out so you barely ran any plays in the first half um and how many of those now like are, are you when are you supposed to run more i would have loved somebody to show me like hey you know here's where they should have run it instead of passing it i didn't see too mm-hmm. many of those situations arise and when yeah obviously like you want to establish dalvin cook but sometimes in the game it's just not going to work out for you i understand what he's saying but like maybe in the second half you could have done that more uh that's more likely frankly that okay, now like the defense has kind of settled itself. It looks like, you know, when you get the ball down to like the 30 off of like a blocked field goal, okay, now maybe you try to establish the run here. Um, But in the first half, I didn't see any opportunities for it. I agree with you. I think Kevin O'Connell sees that as a mistake and he's going to try to correct himself with the game plan this week. And Detroit is a more favorable opponent to run the ball against. Um, But I didn't, I don't, want to knock Kevin O'Connell too much even though he was knocking himself in that Monday night game because I didn't see the opportunities there to do it frankly like I thought that was a game where yeah you, the running game probably wasn't going to work and and you're down a lot of points and you have to pass and you just hope your, your passing game comes through better than it did it needs to the passing game needs to come better come through better than it did and we're talking about this is going to be a test for the Vikings culture this is going to be a test for Kevin O'Connell this is going to be a test for Justin Jefferson too like I think you mentioned after our post game 
or our post game podcast. Like it's the first time in two years that we've truly seen Justin Jefferson lose. He lost to Darius Slay on, on Monday night. He, he wasn't competitive with Darius Slay on Monday night. I think he finished with one catch when, when Darius Slay was in coverage. Yeah. It was like and one on seven Dar- targets. Yeah. It was destroyed. And uh, Darius Slay finished with two catches when he was in coverage. <laughs> Darius Slay so, was the NFC defensive player of the week. So, well, I have no, absolutely no worries about Justin Jefferson. I think he is still one of the, if not the best receiver in the league. You need to respond this week. You need to come out and and, and put a performance on, on the lion's head and just really show like that the offense can go to you even when things are hard. I think that was something we talked about post game too. Like everything was hard on Monday night. Everything was hard for this offense largely because of Kirk Cousins and the way he played the position, largely because he really exuded 0% of calm. But it's it's okay for Justin Jefferson to win one-on-one. And, you know, he, he just – there were times where, where Kirk Cousins missed him wide open, but a lot of the times he was pretty blanketed in coverage when, when Darius Slay was there. So you got to win this week. You're not playing a guy nearly of the caliber this week as, as Darius Slay, no matter who the Lions line up across from you. I don't know if they're going to shadow. I don't know if they're just going to play certain sides of the field and just kind of take their medicine with, with Justin Jefferson. But the passing game always is going to start and stop with him as far as weapons go. And then it's obviously a nice segue to Kirk. Like he needs to be better too. He's going to be better. He's, he's, he's done a great job against the Lions throughout his, his tenure with the Vikings. But like, you know, we, we after Monday night's performance, all of the, the the bad rhetoric that surrounds Kirk Cousins came back for good reason. He needs a bounce back right this week, and he needs to show that he can lead this offense, you know, to the high-powered one they want to be. What about, like, the other weapons within this offense right now? Like, Adam Thielen was missing until the fourth quarter garbage time, and then, like, literally – no catches, I don't believe, until the fourth quarter. And then just like, okay, garbage time, those last couple drives, like Adam Thielen time. Uh, KJ Osborne, you can't tell he's on the field half the time. Uh, that was yeah. that was that was a guy we were really excited about coming into the season, and there's been just no production. Uh, it was the Irv Smith and Justin Jefferson show, and then you know, the running backs out of the passing game. Like, where are these dudes? Are, are they going to get them involved? Are they just not playing well enough uh to to draw targets? Like, where do you land on this right now? I don't know. I think you see a lot of this with Kirk Cousins, and you've seen it in the past. He locks in on guys. He he claims to trust his reads, and I think he does. I think he goes through his progression robotically to a fault. <clears throat> but he locks in on certain guys. And in the past, it was Adam Thielen. He, Adam Thielen was the lock-in guy, and you were saying, well, you need to throw the ball to Justin Jefferson more. Now I think Justin Jefferson is the guy he's locking in on, which is – inherently the right decision but it doesn't mean you have to just like make the rest of the field invisible to you you know you don't have to just have tunnel vision to justin jefferson at all times i think the reason we saw Irv smith be so involved in in monday night's game plan is or look like he was involved in monday night's game plan is because often he was the check down often he was the last read where kirk was like i have to throw this i think you see with a lot of things with kirk it's lock in on this guy that I want to get the ball to pre-snap. And if that guy's not there as I go through my progression, I'll get all the way to my check down, and then I'll just throw that. You mentioned a third and five play early on Monday. He went through one, two, three, four, threw the ball to Irv Smith three yards before the first down marker. That, 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 chance, that ball had no chance of being a first down. That was the story of this offense. So I would like to see him kind of, Kirk Cousins, I'm saying, 
scan the field more, give guys more of a chance, spread the ball around. Because I think <clears throat> while Darius Slay deserves credit for what he did to Justin Jefferson on Monday night, Kirk wasn't spreading the ball around. It wasn't like he was giving Adam Thielen a couple throws here, KJ Osborne, a couple opportunities there, and then trying to hit Justin Jefferson for chunk plays down the field. It was like, if Jefferson's not there, I'm going to my check down. And he often wasn't there because Darius Slay was there. But you want to see these more weapons. These weapons really show more because that's what we thought this offense was going to be predicated on is like the ability to spread the wealth. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, one-two punch, KJ Osborne having a breakout year, Irv Smith doing his thing from the tight end position. And right now you've really only seen, like you said, Jefferson in week one and Irv Smith in week two. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because like, you know, we just, as you mentioned, like we think going to Justin Jefferson a lot is the play, like that's the path to success. And I still think it is, but you know, it's, it's might be a little bit of a learning process of like, yes, we want to do that a lot, but it can't be the only thing you're doing. Um, like Robert Woods last year got off to a really slow start to the year uh, for the Rams. And that was Matthew Stafford's first year in that offense. And he was peppering Cooper cup and he continued to pepper Cooper cup throughout the season. But like Robert Woods is a great receiver um, and was barely involved. And then it kind of progressed. So maybe that's a quarterback saying, yes, I'm log walking in on this guy, but okay, now how do I kind of pick my spots? How do I use the fact that the defense is shading so heavily towards this guy that I can take advantage of my other good weapons? So I think maybe that's something that will come with time. Uh, but for the Vikings offense, it has to, I think, come sooner than later that you are using everybody to make life easier for Kirk Cousins, to make life easier for Justin Jefferson, to make you know life better for the KJ Osborns and Adam Thielens of the world. So we'll see. Uh, we're going to get, we'll take a little bit more about the offense, but then we're going to get into the defensive matchup, trying to slow down this suddenly potent Lions offense uh, coming up here in segment two. Hey, back with Inside Purple and Gold, Jace Frederick, Dane Mizutani, talking all things Vikings, previewing Sunday's home game at noon against Detroit. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, like, follow, subscribe. You can find us on any podcast platform. Make sure you are following, subscribing, so that every episode is showing up in your phone upon its release. Dane, a little bit more on this offense. What do you think it has to do? Like, how productive do you think this offense has to be how big does the bounce back have to be if the Vikings are going to win on Sunday it has to be potent because I think that's going to be a shootout I think this kind of teases what we're going to talk about the defense but like the defense isn't going to be able to stop the Lions right with regularity I don't think and that has a lot to do with the defense being pretty porous but also some to do with the fact that the Lions have legitimate weapons now that I think are going to be hard to, to defend against. So the, the Vikings offense needs to be able to score. Seven points isn't going to be enough like you had like you saw against the Eagles. And frankly, I don't know if 23 points is going to be enough, which 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 is what you saw against the Green Bay Packers. I think you're going to need to put up 28, 35. I don't know. I think it's going to be a pinball game that you're going to need to see this offense be able to respond if, if Detroit you know, marches right down the field and scores a touchdown or say you're up a touchdown, give your, give your team some, some cushion, give, give the defense some insurance, make it a 14 point game. I think this game is going to be proof positive that like field goals do not win. I think touchdowns are going to win the game. If you are close, I think you go for it. I think you, you assume that Detroit's going the other way and scoring a touchdown. I keep giving Detroit's offense a lot of credit but largely because the, the vikings defense probably stinks this year i think 
there was enough writing on the wall in week two, and it looked so much like last season. And by the way, we don't know if Harrison Smith is going to play because he's still in concussion protocol. I think there's a chance this Vikings defense is going to get shredded on Sunday, so the offense needs to win the football game for them. Yeah, and you mentioned Detroit's offense is saying it's more about the Vikings defense. Like It's just two weeks. But Detroit is third in scoring in the NFL right now uh, behind just mm-hmm. Buffalo and, and Kansas City. Like, this is an offense that looks great. Um, Amon or St. Brown looks unstoppable. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him later. But, like, he is legitimately looking like a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL just for what he's done over the past eight, nine games of his still very young NFL career. DeAndre Swift looks like one of the best running backs in football. Like, get on the ball and he's incredibly explosive, can make plays out of the running game and the passing game. Uh, Jared Goff, like people made fun of him for so long. And and frankly, like it's in some ways, it's nice to see him putting together a nice season because like this is a guy who went to the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. And, and Sean McVay got all the credit for it, uh, but he led an, an incredibly high powered offense. And then the final year there, like people were pointing at his poor play there. He had like a terribly injured thumb that he was trying to play through. Um, mm-hmm. So now we see like, yeah, okay. Last year they struggled. They had no weapons. Like DeAndre Swift missed a lot of games. So Monterey St. Brown was barely playing for a big chunk of the start of the season. Like, and now you see with weapons, like, yeah, Jared Goff can make an offense go. And their offensive line, even while banged up right now, is really good. So there's a lot of things to like about this Lions offense. And it's going to create a big challenge for the Vikings defense. And you're right. It showed a lot of holes last week. It showed a lot of the same concerns that we just had um, coming into the season that it was easy to maybe say we're patched up because of one week against Green Bay, um, where Rodgers <clears throat> seemed to spend most of the day being disappointed in his receivers. Like, but... Yeah, there are concerns. And they're the same concerns we thought. Um, it's the secondary looks kind of brutal. Um, and people want to talk about, you know, Ed on telling what are you doing, like play more press coverage, like, you know, get into the receivers' grills, um, challenge AJ Brown, uh, you know, challenge Devonta Smith. And it's like, do you see the corners? Like they literally pulled Cam Dantzler because yes, well, he made tackles in the running game. Uh, yes, well, he was, you know, made one nice play on Dallas Goddard on a play that he wasn't really covering, like kind of jumped into the play like in his actual coverage we saw some like clips of that on twitter he looked terrible um and that's kind of who he is he's not a great cornerback and patrick peterson is not a great one-on-one cornerback anymore so like what do you want him to do um it's a personnel thing which is kind of an all-season thing and i know it's easier to yell at the defensive coordinator but they're probably putting together the best game plan that they think they have for a secondary that is not good right and i don't want to talk really any more about the Monday night game, but like there was a play that, that Cam Dantzler made. I don't know. Like I wish we could hear in like the headsets or in like the, the coaches headsets in the defensive rooms or whatever, what the meetings looked like. Cam Bynum got all the, all the, you know, he was the goat of the big long touchdown to Quez Watkins down the seam. It might've been quarters coverage. I've seen like different breakdowns on Twitter about like, it I think Kevin like O'Connell accurate. called it quarters coverage after the game. Like we had a so break. like, like while that is quarters and like that means Bynum still should be over the top on that. Like, but it also means that that's where Cam, it means Cam Danzler bit on, on, on the dig route. And it looked like Cam Bynum thought like, I, I think Cam Danzler is going to take this route and he just didn't, he, he bailed off of it. And obviously if you're the deep safety, you're going to look bad. And it sounds like Cam Bynum also made a mistake there, but I think Cam they should Danzler both be had, there. It's the only right, deep route I, on that play. I, yeah, they should both be there. I, right. I think Cam Danzler is skating by there and, and, and maybe that's why he gets pulled for a Caleb Evans. There was a lot of there were a lot of plays throughout the game where it's like you you can't defend 
No, that, the play before like, he got pulled, there was another one where he got lit up for like 40 yards because he just was he was just literally lost. Like he wasn't guarding anybody um, in, in the area of the field. You could tell like he didn't really know what he was doing. And that's got to make coaches pull their hair out. And Cam Dancer was pulled like one play later. Um, and so, yeah, like while you look and it's like, well, I don't get it. He seems like he's tackling well. And it looks like oh, Cam Dancer is playing really well. The coaches are probably like, this dude's not doing what he's supposed to be doing at all. Like we, we've got to get him off the field. <laughs> Um, and that can also make your your what looks like, you know, soft coverage, which it is the soft coverage scheme, but it makes it look worse when guys aren't even doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, like, what are you hanging your hat on the secondary right now? Like, I also would be like, let's just try not to get crushed and hope the other team makes a mistake. The only thing I would say, like, I think Vikings Twitter, when it like pops off like this and it gets like this, this idea in its head and it's like, we're going to slam at Donatel because we should not be in shell coverage. The one thing I will agree with with Vikings Twitter on is like send some pressure. Like yeah, it's okay. Yeah, like you yeah. don't need you can blitz. Like go cover zero blitz. Like yes, you don't think your corners can can defend for that long? Well, make Jalen Hurts throw the ball before he's ready to throw it. Same with this week. Blitz Jared Goff. Like that's yeah. okay. You've got to pressure Jared uh, Goff. And and I think like there is like a like a temptation almost to like say, well, we have Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith and they should be able to get home and we don't need, we can drop linebackers in coverage and we don't need to send the corner blitz because we have those guys who are so talented. Buffalo, like Leslie, Fla- Leslie Frazier, like familiar face. They have the third highest p- pressure rate in the entire league. And I think they blitzed three times the entire season or something. There was some crazy stat I saw yesterday, but you don't have the puff, the personnel that Buffalo does. It's okay to send some blitzes just because you have two dominant rush ends does not mean they've only blitzed one time. Oh no, no. I something I want to just off of that. You're talking about these dominant edge rushers and I have a point I really wanted to make, and this leads right into it. ESPN self Seth Walder puts out a stat about pass rushing yesterday. Um, it's about double teams and, and then pass rush win rate. So there's the chart. We thought that Daniel Hunter would open things up for Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith is seeing like three times as many double teams as Daniel Hunter is. Daniel Hunter is seeing about the fewest number of doubles of anybody in the NFL. And his win rate is low. He's not been good uh, through two weeks. He's not getting doubled and he's not dominating the game. He has one sack. Um, You barely saw he he like barely noticed him in the Eagles game. Um, He's, he's not winning. Um, And I don't know if maybe we can say he's just not quite the same player after the injuries. Uh, He doesn't look like the same player through two weeks. So maybe the Vikings have to start accounting for that because opposing teams, according to double team rate, are viewing Zadarius Smith as the threat. Um, and that's who they need to take out. And and in game two in Philly, it worked. Um, okay, limit Zadarius Smith, make Daniel Hunter beat us. He did not. So that's something you have to start counting for too. Like, I don't know if you have two dominant edge rushers. Like, Daniel Hunter's going to have to prove that he's still in that group, I think. Yeah, and so, like, when you look at just the entire defense as a whole now, like – you have to, I think, if you're at Donatel, think about blitzing more. And that might be the game plan this week, right? Like, I don't think you just t- turn the entire, like, there's something about adjusting mid-game like they could have done on Monday night. And there's something about, like, well, this is what we've worked all week in practice to prepare for this team. And, frankly, our defense is not that good to adjust on the fly. Like, like, like the Twitter, you know, the armchair quarterbacks at home sitting on their couch want them to do. I this get it. Game, though, I, I understand for the fans. You just wanted to try something when it's not working. So I understand that. Um, but I don't think the solution is always as easy as you think. 
Right. It doesn't just, it's not just like, okay, we'll play press man and blitz. Well, like if they did that, I, I'm pretty sure that Cam Dantzler would lose to AJ Brown and they'd give up a long touchdown similar to they did against Quez Watkins. But sticking with the Detroit game this week, I, I think Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be a problem. He's he's proved to be a problem for the last eight, nine games of NFL play. I think it was like the final six weeks of the regular season last year and the first two weeks of the regular season this year. He has eight catches. He, he had another eight catch performance, uh, you know, on, on last Sunday. The only players with eight catches in as many consecutive games as Amon Ross St. Brown in NFL history he has tied Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas. So he's he's put himself in some rarefied air with just his ability to one get open, two catch the ball, and three just be a consistent threat when when I think he's gotten to the point where opposing teams know, okay, this guy's going to get the ball and they still can't stop him. So I think like Amara St. Brown is going to be someone who's going to get the ball on Sunday. Can the Vikings stop him? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think Patrick Peterson can match up with him. I don't think Cam Dantzler can match up with him. I think you're going to need a lot of help on, on someone like Amon Ross St. Brown because he's looking more and more like a dominant receiver every day. Um, he just is. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL, and I stand by that. And anybody wants to push me on it, great. He has nine touchdowns in his last eight games. Um, he's had 10-plus targets in all of those last eight games. Um, he's went sub 86 yards in two of those games. Um, otherwise, he's been above that number. Uh, he's never been below. So the week one, he had 64 yards. That's the lowest yardage total he's posted in those last eight games. Remember, Justin Jefferson had 46 yards. Like, receivers have bad games. Monterey St. Brown doesn't have bad games. Uh, he's pretty lethal in the rushing game. Took one 58 yards uh, last week against Washington. Like He's just good. He's Dominant. Just good. I mean, he's literally the only receiving weapon in Detroit where you're like, okay, we got to take him on or St. Brown out. And yes, Jared Goff throwing to him. And I, I like, I don't mind Jared Goff at all. Like I've said, but it's not like it's, you know, Aaron Rodgers, and nobody can take away like some of these games in, in this stretch uh, where he's been posting these 90 yards, hundred yards. He had Tim Boyle throwing him the ball. Uh, Jared Goff was out for some of these games um, and it didn't matter. Like he, he has been unstoppable. He doesn't get talked about enough as like this dude is establishing himself as elite, uh, a 2021 fourth round pick. And yet literally it looks like one of the most dominant players in football. Um, and so that's going to be a name you're going to see a lot on Sunday. And Minnesota's going to have to try to find an answer. Uh, but nobody else has, frankly. Yeah, it, I don't think anyone can stop him. Uh, no one's proven to be able to stop him yet. And this isn't just like, I think for like a, towards the end of last season, you might have just said like, Okay, like this is a guy that's just flying under the radar. Like, there, the Eagles had a guy named Travis Fulgham like two years ago, like who he put up like two 12 catch performances. I only know this because I had him in fantasy football that year. And everyone's like, oh my God, Travis Fulgham might be good. I think some people thought that's that is who Amon Ross St. Brown or like that kind of like player type is. Like, oh, there's some random fourth round receiver kind of showing up out of nowhere. Well, he's not. He's not some random guy. He is him. He is the guy. Like, he is a guy who can just dominate a game. And you're seeing more and more of that each week. And frankly, I think you'll see a lot of that this week. Like, I don't know who the Vikings have that can stop him. What's so interesting about this, and it's almost like it it's it's funny and like ironic. Um 
his entire career really got started because against the Vikings and his first career touchdown uh, came mm-hmm. on the last play of the game. In on, Cam Dantzler. on Cam Dantzler. On Cam Dantzler. Yep, where uh, Detroit wins its first game of the year on on the final play of the game. Amon St. Brown. That was his first career touchdown. That started this entire streak. He has not been stopped ever since then. So Cam Dantzler started Amon St. Brown's hot run and really started got his career on fire. And we'll see if Cam Dantzler, although I don't know if he'll be matched up too often on him, can play a role in somehow slowing down this train. Uh, we'll come back. We'll probably, you know, talk a little bit more about him on St. Brown because I don't know what else you can say because it literally is the one guy Minnesota really has to try to stop on Sunday um, right after the break. Back with Inside Purple and Gold, Jace Frederick, Dame Mizutani breaking down the Vikings game Sunday against Detroit. Probably like as far as week threes go, about as much of a must win as you'll see. Like you have to beat Detroit at home if you want to be a playoff team. Um, Dane, we were talking about Amon or St. Brown, his pure dominance. Anything else you want to say to put a kind of a bow on this? Yeah, two things. Um, I like his demeanor. I think uh, you see him in these press conferences. He saw it on hard knocks. He was yeah. able to do the whole, the Draymond green shtick of like, here's this receiver got drafted ahead of me. This receiver got drafted ahead of me. And like, that was for hard knocks. So I'm sure he doesn't have the list like fully ingrained in his head as, maybe. as much as Draymond does, but maybe he does because you saw a press conference come out of Detroit yesterday on Wednesday. And they were asking him on Ross St. Brown about, just like his dominance to this point. And for some reason, he just decided that he, he wanted to like throw Diami Brown under the bus. And like this poor guy, Diami Brown is just like chilling. He's not playing. He's probably pretty upset. Diami Brown from North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But got Played one selected, snap on Sunday. Yeah. Got, got selected ahead of Amara St. Brown and, and Mon, Amon Ra's just saying like, I'm going to give everyone hell. Everyone who, who doubted me, everyone who passed on me. Like I was looking across the sideline and, and seeing Diami Brown and like, didn't see him much on on Sunday. Didn't see him on the field very much. And like he knew what he was doing because he played one snap, like you said. Um, yeah, it's very clear that everyone made mistakes. Uh, every team in the, the NFL made mistakes in passing on this guy. The last thing I want to say about him is I think what he's doing right now is basically what Odell Beckham did like for the last half of his rookie year into his second year in the league. Odell just had the really, really, really cool one-handed catch. And yes, Odell was great. Odell was dominant and Odell deserved all the credit he got. But a lot of his rise in NFL circles, at least from a casual fan perspective, came due to that one-handed snag behind the head impossible catch. That took him from average no-name receiver to superstar receiver. It helped that he had the first-round pedigree as well. Frankly, Amon Ross St. Brown deserves to be on that level as far as hype and what we talk about and how we talk about him. Um, I think anyone who's listening to this podcast who is a Vikings fan might be sick of hearing about him. We're about eight you're gonna be, yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to be more sick about of it after Sunday's game when we're talking more about how Amon Ross St. Brown shredded this Viking secondary. I don't think there's a chance they can stop him, Jace. I, I, can't, I can't say that enough, and I've said it a lot already. Yeah, I do think on the opposite side of the coin, I don't think there's a chance that Detroit can stop Justin Jefferson. Now, this is what you said about Philadelphia as you kind of bagged on Darius Slay leading into the game and how he wasn't really that guy anymore, and then he proved that he was. Uh, but, but Justin Jefferson, but just two games last year against Detroit. Uh, in the October home victory where Minnesota only scored 19 points, Justin Jefferson, seven catches, 124 yards. I'm um, in the loss in Detroit. 
14 targets, 11 catches, 184 yards, mm-hmm. 182 yards, excuse me, and a touchdown. Like Detroit, and the secondary isn't that different for Detroit. We've seen that. They've been shredded a couple weeks in a row. Now Carson Lentz just shredded them last week. Although I will say, like, that was catch-up mode. Detroit did get up 22-0 on, on Washington. But, like, Justin Jefferson, I would expect a massive <clears throat> bounce-back game. Like, this guy is almost never silenced um, in the way that he was on Monday night. He's as competitive as they come. He's consistently trying to prove he's the best. There was a little bit of a knock on that um, on a Monday in primetime. You don't think that maybe lights the fire a little bit for Justin Jefferson? Like, I expect him to bounce back in a huge way. And he knows Amon or St. Brown's on the other sideline, and he knows what he's been posting. And uh, I think Justin Jefferson is in line for a huge game because of the matchup, because of the will to bounce back um, and kind of prove like, yeah, okay, I had one bad game. I'm still that guy. Um, I, and I don't see any way that Detroit can stop him either. Like we talk about these offenses having big games. We talk about the Vikings wanting to establish Delvin Cook. I think Justin Jefferson is probably going to come and have one of those games uh, this Sunday. He needs to. He definitely needs to do that. Um, week two is pretty unacceptable as far as I'm concerned, as far as being, if you want to talk all preseason about being, I want to be the best receiver in the league. You cannot no show on Monday night football. And you cannot no show on Monday night football against someone that is still viewed as a, a top tier cornerback. You have to win those matchups and he didn't. Um, so it was disappointing uh, performance, you know, in prime time. But I, I think you're right. I think he'll he'll bounce back this week. There, there's just no reason to think he won't because, like, as we've talked about, like, he has he's frankly never really lost in his NFL career. Like, this was the first time he's lost in week two. I don't see this being a snowball effect. Detroit doesn't have anyone, that, you know, of, of that caliber of, of Darius Slay. I know Jeff Okuda was the number three pick of the draft, but, like, Justin Jefferson's better than him. <laughs> I wish we could like rewind the tape of me saying like Justin Jefferson's better than Darius Slay and then him <laughs> just getting absolutely shut down because I'm doing the same thing right now. Justin Jefferson is better than Jeffrey Okuda. And yeah, but that's not Darius Slay is a significantly it, higher. Yes, 100 percent. But um, it, it would just be funny if, if we could rewind the tape. Uh, <laughs> Okuda just pitches a shutout. Justin Jefferson has two catches on Sunday night or, you know, Sunday afternoon. And um, I I digress. That's not going to happen. He's he's going to he's going to pop again. And. I think it'll be a shootout. I think it's going to have to be. Um, we'll get into picks here in, in, in a couple of minutes, um, but I think it will be a shootout. Yeah. Um, kind of has to be. Where do you, okay. We talk, I've talked about how I think if the Vikings, it's kind of a no win situation for them. Like you have to win the game. Um, but I think, I don't know how much the narrative changes about this team if they just win. Uh, but mm-hmm. What will like like let's just talk about the stakes in general. Like, what do you think the stakes are on Sunday? You win and and you hold serve and you did absolutely what you were supposed to do. You lose and I think people are starting to wonder like, is this actually a good team? Exactly what you said in we in segment one, Jace. The stakes are from a Vikings perspective. You need to win to prove that you're still a good team in the league. If you lose, there is questions of. Well, they played a basically triple A Green Bay Packers team minus Aaron Rodgers in, in week one. What is that going to look like in week 10 or whenever they play later in the season? If you lose at to Detroit at home after getting thoroughly dismantled by the Eagles in primetime, I think there is an actual worry that like, huh, maybe they're bad. 
So the stakes right now are just like a reputation of like, what are the expectations of this team this year? Right now, I think they are still playoffs. I think if you don't make the playoffs, it, it's viewed as a failure of a, a season, certainly. Um, after all, like the competitive rebuild talk of the offseason. I think if you lose this game, though, like those, the questions really start to come up. So that's the stakes. From a, from a Detroit perspective, the stakes are if you win, like, yeah, like you should be talking about this team as potentially a playoff team. Like they they have the offense, they have the weapons. I'm not sure they have the defense, um, but I think that that they have enough pieces of all the drafts that they've had high picks from in the last three or four or five years. Like that, the defense could come along at some point, develop. They have the offense to score with anyone. I, I think it's a high stakes game, for, more so for Detroit as far as wins go, because I think Detroit can push their expectations to another stratosphere if they win on Sunday. And I think the Vikings expectations remain the same. If they win, they did what they're supposed to do on to week four. Yeah, it is kind of a hold serve thing, but this isn't going to be as easy as like as much of a dunk as it seemed like past Detroit home games would be. Like if you remember, and he got ripped for this quite a bit as just kind of a Vikings hater, but Sean Payton sat there, I think on Fox pregame show ahead of week one and said like, oh, I think Detroit's going to finish second in the North behind the Packers. And people thought, well, Sean Payton just hates the Vikings for obvious reasons. Uh, Minnesota has kind of tormented him in, in recent years. Uh, but I, I think we're seeing now, like, there's more validity to that. I'm not saying that, like, I would still pick Minnesota to finish second in the North. I would still do that. But you see, like, Detroit has pieces. They have Dan Campbell's building mm-hmm. something there. Like, the <clears> offense <throat> is good. The defense is not. But um, <laughs> still, like, it is like a team that looks like, you know, they're heading in the right direction. And and probably will beat some teams that we do not think they should beat this year. Um, that's going to happen. Now, the Vikings cannot be one of those teams, especially not at home. But, like, this is kind of a – the Vikings have to at least stake their claim to being one of the top dogs in the North um, and maybe still better than Green Bay. I don't know. Like, one loss at Philadelphia does not exclude you from that discussion. Uh, but you have to win this game. Uh, you really do. And let's get into our picks for what we think is going to happen in this one. First, let's start off with the purple prop party. Every week, Dane and I will make one prop player prop bet, um, our selection for what we think is the best looking bet on the board. And these lines are provided by DraftKings Sportsbook. Dane, last week, uh, you took another Justin Jefferson over. It did not hit this time around. So you were one and one just riding the Justin Jefferson train. I picked Miles Sanders to go over like, I don't even remember the exact line. It was like 46 and a half rushing yards or whatever. And he got to like 80. Uh, so we're both one and one. Where are you at this week? Lions, Vikings, what player prop that stands out to you? Uh, I think anyone who's listened to the end, if you've gotten to minute 42, 43 of this podcast, you know where I'm going with this. It's Amon Ross St. Brown, 70 and a, 70 and a half receiving yards. Hammer the over. He's going to destroy the Viking secondary. I'd be shocked if he doesn't get to 100. 70 and a half seems a bit low to me, especially when you look at the same prop board and you see Justin Jefferson at 96 and a half. Um, I know that Armand Ross St. Brown's still has a ways to go before prop bets are, are saying, Oh, he's in the nineties over under. Um, but he's there to, as far as I'm concerned, 70 and a half. I think it's free money. I think you hammer the over. Yeah. I mean, like we said, that's one time in the last. Yes. However, like, in the um, last eight, nine, eight, Games nine games, has, eight games. Yeah, that he has went under that one time. <laughs> this guy it's literally not gonna like, be. It's not gonna be this week. It's not yeah, gonna be. This it's, week. it's Jared Goff's favorite receiver. Like anybody who's getting ten targets, you're probably going over seventy yards, and he does that every single week. Um, that is Jared Goff's guy, and for good reason. I am going to go with Kirk Cousins 
over 285 and a half yards. And here's why. Like, that number is insanely high. They only put the number that high if it's going to go over. Uh, that's kind of my stance on that. Like, oh, okay, where's the trap? <laughs> and I think that's a trap of like, that's a big number. I'll take the under. I'm going over on that. Um, I saw a really funny video clip on Twitter, and it was Stefan Diggs, like, after the Monday night game going, I'm him, I'm him, I'm him. And somebody grabs the video and goes, Kirk Cousins when he sees a noon home game. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I think like this Detroit secondary can be torched. I think Justin Jefferson's gonna have a massive day. I think Kirk Cousins is gonna benefit off that. I think the Vikings passing game will be more it, it will be more like it will have whatever, more of everything um, than it did not only in week two, but even in week one, I think. I think this is going to be a shootout. Uh, I think they're going to be posting a lot of points. I think Kirk Cousins is going to have more time to throw. I think he'll maybe use more of the options. I just I expect a big game from Kirk Cousins, like one of those 302-type performances. Yeah, and the only other one on the board, 96.5 for Justin Jefferson, take the over on that too. I think, like, just commit to the Not Dane's official pick, but he's, you know, he's right. Parlay. Take that and parlay. Parlay all three. Like, parlay Jace's over on Kirk Cousins' passing yards, my over on Amon Ross St. Brown, and our collective over on Justin Jefferson, 96 and a half. You'll win a bunch of money. We don't take And then subscribe to this podcast. Yeah, we don't take unders here. We do not take unders on this show. Um, That's for sure. Okay, let's get into the game. Uh... 52 and a half point over under that's a that's a really big number but that's kind of what we've been talking about we expect these two offenses to surge um without much resistance and the vikings six point favorites at home which i think is a big number to a lot of people um but i don't think a lot of people still like quite believe in the lions yet either um even given with what they've done the first two weeks so where are you at on this one dane i don't think the vikings cover but i think they win i think it's gonna be a pretty close game um, I think it could be a field goal difference. Um, Greg Joseph made a 55-yard field goal, 54-yard field goal as time expired, saved Mike Jim- Zimmer's job in week five last year. I'm not predicting game-winning field goal, but I think a field goal could be a difference. I don't think the Vikings are winning by a touchdown. I don't think it's going to be a runaway by any means. I think they do win. I think it's close throughout. I think it's pretty tense. Um, but I think the Vikings walk away with a win here because they have to. They have to win this game. Um, And I think they know that. I think the locker room knows that. I think Kevin O'Connell knows that. I think Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen know that. Um, You have to win this game, and I think they will. Yeah, I've got Vikings 30 to 27. Um, So the overhitting and the Vikings not covering, but pulling out the win, getting one they need to move to 2-0. It's... It is an interesting game, though, because, like, yeah, we've talked about Detroit making improvements, but just outside of that, like, Detroit's got a ton of momentum right now. They're probably feeling great about themselves. They have a full week. Minnesota's coming off a short week. Uh, Monday night football, It's that's not easy to bounce back from. Uh, they haven't you know. practiced this week either, Jace. Like, this and is, we're sitting here Thursday morning, and this is going to be the first yeah, practice. Yeah, the it's, first practice. And some teams respond well to that. Some don't. Um, Minnesota, as training camp showed, maybe not practicing is kind of the, the Viking way. Uh, but... <laughs> But frankly, like it's there are a lot of things where you can line it up and see where like advantage Detroit, advantage Detroit, like and the bounce back narrative for the Vikings is so easy. Like, oh, okay, now they're going to come home and and be themselves, at least offensively. But there's just no guarantees of that. And like I said, like there's just no guarantees that this is a good football team. We think we still think it's going to be. I still think it's a nine win team, but there's not even guarantees of that. Um, You know, like there are a bunch of question marks. This could still be a 12 win team. This could still be a nine win. This could be a seven win team, you know, like we're still gaining evidence piece by piece and trying to like put the puzzle together. Um, I still think it's very much still inconclusive at this point. So another week, another chance to learn something. 
Yeah, and that's I think what we'll see at least for the first month of the season, month and a half, two months is like who we're just, everyone's trying to figure out who these these guys are. And it's not just our podcast; it's probably every podcast covering every team throughout the NFL. It's very easy to talk in, in declarative statements about a team week to week. Um, we're I think still the learning. Bills are good. I think the Bills are good. <laughs> the Bills are very good. <laughs> the Bills. I picked Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, but I might just want to give the Bills the Lombardi Trophy right now. They, yeah. they, they're so good. They're you, so crazy good. But you're right. Oh a bunch of other teams are in the same boat as Minnesota. Like you just don't. You're not quite sure. Even some 0 and two and two and zero teams. You're like, I don't know. That could still be a good team. That could still be a bad team. I don't know. Like the Vikings. I am. You know, frankly. I played this game all last season with this team. I think they're okay. I think they're bad. I think they're maybe they're okay. No, maybe they're bad. You know, like, and that's the concern I think is that you're back on this is that you never find the answer until it's too late. And you're like, Oh, I guess week 17, you're like, Oh, I guess it was a bad team. Um, (laughs) We'll see if they can get a more definitive answer a little sooner this time around. Yeah. You just got to string some wins together here. Like the schedule is friendly to them this year on paper, on paper, I think, um, there are games and and as teams kind of figure out who they are and as teams kind of show who they are, like maybe the, the wins that looked like they were wins on paper are, are a little bit more 50, 50 games um, as far as the Vikings are, are concerned, but I don't think the sky is falling. I think they're going to be okay. I still think they're going to win 10 games, but if they lose on Sunday, I will be concerned. I will, I will be very concerned. I will say like, everybody's like the Vikings are going to be fine. And in my head, I was like, that's the problem, right? They're just going to be fine. They're like, that's, not, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole, that was the whole point coming into the season is like, do you want a team that's just going to be fine? Cause that's where they've been. And that's what it looks like they're going to be. So when people came off of that Philly game and go relax, they're going to be fine. I said, that's the problem, <laughs> you know, so be like, bad. I, but be bad or be good, you know, stop being fine. Uh, but you know, even this week, like, Hey, next week you go to London to play the saints who look like a really complete good football team. Like you do not want that to be your must win game. Uh, so mm-hmm. pull this one out against Detroit. Um, all right. I think that's all we have for this one. Jace Frederick, Dame Zutani inside purple and gold Vikings odyssey podcast. Uh, follow, subscribe, make sure you're getting all these episodes. Come along with us on this wild journey of a Viking season as it is every single year. Uh, thanks so much for listening today. We'll be back after the Detroit game, breaking it all down, win, lose, tie, whatever. Um, thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Twenty four hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 